is it just me or does it seem like all across the United States there is this warped version of the gospel and Christianity and the Bible that people are saying you must preach if you're a Christian? Is it just me or is it obvious that the unbelievers of Christianity are constantly perpetrating their view of what Christianity should be like on real biblical doctrine-following Christians? Is it just me or am I just going crazy in my day-to-day life as I try to profess truth to others? I don't think I'm the only one who sees this. And today on today's podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Um, what it means to be a Christian in today's society, a true biblical Christian. And not only that, but I'm going to be sharing my testimony of what it has been like for me in something as small as high school as a Christian experiencing um, the lowest levels. I say lowest levels because we're talking about in the United States, but some of the lowest levels, but clear levels of persecution. And I'm going to share my testimony. I'm going to share what happened and it's going to be a blast. You're listening to the Filterless Podcast. Hey everybody, like I said, it's Katie Thomas here, and today I have a very interesting message. Um, Originally, I was going to be going over uh, a rebuttal to my last podcast. What I typically do is when I post a podcast and people want to post their opinions back, they're typically very nasty, they're very rude. Uh, Normally, I go back and I address their ideas and I kind of support my case. I was going to do that with my last podcast, but the problem is, is that my last podcast got so much feedback that honestly, I have to plan out a little bit more for my podcast. And I think I need to be careful as well. Um, And I'll explain later in this episode why I have to be careful because of my last episode. But to give you kind of a, um, if you haven't already seen it, my podcast last episode got about, I think it was 484 views, which is the most views any of my podcasts have gotten so far. But the downside was that the majority of those views were very negative. They weren't people listening to, um, for the most part, to hear Um, a Christian perspective. And ultimately there was a lot of backlash, 60 thumbs down, which is fine. Um, Doesn't change my mind. Doesn't make me not want to speak anymore about the truth, but it was very interesting. And so that rebuttal podcast will be coming out later only because um, there's a little element of being careful that um, I want to be and not careful because I'm scared to speak out about it, but careful because there were definitely some threats that came because of my podcast and that's simply not okay. And so I have to be aware for my safety and all those different things. But today, um, kind of coming out of that podcast and some and personal experiences I've had, I've decided to talk about what it means to be a Christian in the United States and what I've noticed. And a lot of you guys know that I don't grow up uh, or live or I haven't grown up or lived on any of the coasts or really anywhere um, in the world where Christianity has been like heavily persecuted, violently persecuted. But regardless of that, I definitely in the Midwest itself have felt persecution to um, a level that has affected my well-being. And it's nothing that I've not been able to rise above, but I kind of wanted to share my story and share why being a Christian, I think is so hard for people today um, and why there's so few, it feels like, bold Christians. And not to say that there aren't any, but you you definitely have to connect um, in very different ways to find 
Christians who are bold and will stand up for their faith um, in the face of someone who confronts them about what they believe. And so for those of you who don't know, I used to be the number one speech and debater in the United States of America uh, through the National Speech and Debate Association. That was like my biggest goal. Uh, When I walked in my freshman year at high school, I was very excited to debate. I walked in and my coach, who I'm not going to mention their name, but um, if you know who I'm referring to or you live locally and you, you know kind of the circumstances of my situation, um, I ask that you please not comment any names um, anywhere. Uh, and that's not because I, you know, I have any respect for this individual, but rather because I don't want to run into any issues as I tell the story. Um, but anyway, so I walked into my my coach's room. And he had like these, um, like a whiteboard filled with rankings on it. And there was a guy, I'm not going to mention his name either, but he was uh, number one at the time in the school, uh, had some of the highest points in the nation. And I declared that I was going to get more points than him. It was like a goal of mine. And I honestly believe I could have accomplished that goal. It was not out of the realm of reason to do, but that was my goal. And I remember that also my freshman year, my coach had told me, you're going to be the first freshman from our high school to qualify the nationals, which is actually really difficult. You have to go and compete against everybody in all grades and all levels. And when you are a freshman, you only compete with really freshmen and first year debaters. So your exposure is very little. And so it's a very hard thing to do. Um, I did it anyway. That spring, I actually was the district champion in an event called United States Extemporaneous Speaking, which essentially means I walk into a room, I have 30 minutes to prep a seven-minute speech without internet about something regarding U.S. politics. And so I did that like 11 times. I got first place in the district over seniors and all kinds of people. It was very cool. And I traveled to Salt Lake City, Utah. I competed with people all across the nation. It was absolutely a phenomenal experience. My freshman year was definitely probably the best year of debate for me, though, because that year there were seniors who definitely disagreed with my faith. There were definitely seniors who thought that my faith was radical, but they always they always included um, me in what they did. They always included me in um, the activities that they partook in. And one of my favorite seniors from when I was a freshman actually at one point bought me a box that said um, prayer box. And she bought it from me from this expensive store. And I've held on to that for um, all of high school. I still have it on my shelf and I still remember who gave it to me. By far the best year of debate for me. But the following year, um, I started to experience a lot of um, backlash on the team because more people had joined. And the people who had joined didn't necessarily agree with my faith. And I had known them pretty much all my life, Uh, even going back to middle school and elementary school. And so um, at this point in time, I have this reputation for being a very biblical abiding Christian. Uh, Some of the things I've been most made fun of for, because at this point in time, um, I did have a boyfriend. A lot of the things that I was made fun of most for were things like waiting until marriage to have sex, which was not popular in the debate community at all. Um, People thought I had like very innocent mind, which, you know, I I like to preserve myself um, mentally. I think that your thoughts, um, if you let them consume, you can turn into actions and So I tried to preserve myself in that way. But being a part of the debate community was very difficult because it is very secular, it is very anti-God. And I would go so far to say that my coach was that way too. Uh, Both of the coaches that we had at the time. One of them was very openly not a Christian. And one of them acted as if they knew things about Christianity and would often challenge my faith just because um, they had a relative who was a pastor. But it was very difficult. 
um, because oftentimes I would get into debates with people in class. And I remember one of the things that I had experienced that was kind of one of the first things that kind of led to the downhill slope of my debate career in terms of my faith was there was a girl, she, she had claimed to be a Christian and, um, but she was very, she was on the left of politics, which, you know, I'm not going to get into, um, if you should be a Christian on the right side or left side of politics or anything like that. But she claimed she was a Christian. To me, it seemed like she was very obviously lost in kind of the truth of Christianity. But she had made an assertion, and I'm not, I know I'm going to get backlash for this, but she had made an assertion uh, regarding Islam being a religion of peace. And um, I do not believe that is true. Somebody's going to comment in the comments below about that. But Islam is not a religion of peace. And so I pointed that out um, to her. And so we began to talk about it and not really in a nasty, angry way, but we were just kind of passionately expressing our ideas. And, um, I remember when I came, when she had left the room and I had come back into this classroom, um, in front of the whole class, my coach essentially said that what I had said was inappropriate. I should not bring that type of stuff up in front of the class. And that I was a bad example for the new debaters. Cause at this point I was like a first, I was a sophomore. It was my first year being kind of a leader on the team. What made that difficult was the fact that I was talking about something that really, um, really mattered to me. It was something about my faith. And honestly, I felt like the classroom was the perfect place to talk about that, considering that Islam, ISIS were topics that were being talked about politically at the time and were even brought up in our debate topics. And so it was very bizarre to me um, in front of the whole class. It got called out. And so that was kind of the one of the first experiences I had that was very negative when it came um, to my faith. And so then it kind of spiraled out a little bit more. Uh, one day I got into a debate with my coach over, um, the Boulder, uh, I forget his name. It's like Boulder Arts theory. Essentially it's a theory that like words are meaningless and we essentially assign meaning to words and that, um, the more words that you, like the more you detail an object and visualize it, the more it will become different than somebody else's visualization. And essentially it's a subjective argument when it comes to language. And so I began to, in front of the class, openly um, challenge my teacher on this idea. Not challenge his authority, but challenge his idea. Because to me, his idea seemed really stupid. Words have meaning. Um, words in themselves are important, and it's not subjective. And um, I was kicked out of the classroom for that argument. And it just became a pattern where this teacher began emailing my parents and all these different things. And um, that was kind of the beginning of it. Uh, fast forward my sophomore year, my peers began to hop on the bandwagon. Um, I had a giant bag where I carried around props for one of my speeches that I actually took the nationals and became a quarterfinalist with. Um, and people began leaving notes, um, disrespecting me as a Christian and my relationship with a guy, which, you know, I'm going to leave that part out, but um, just began disrespecting being by definition bullies, which I hate that word because it sounds so cheesy, but I began getting words. There was one point when an email of mine was hacked and a document and people began replacing words with very vulgar words. And so all these things were happening um, and, and kind of the name of like disrespecting me for my faith. And so when I um, took this to my coach, there was nothing that he did um, about it really. Um, the school district might say otherwise, but really it was unaddressed. The team kept acting the way they were acting and it was very challenging to me. At one point, somebody had put on a Snapchat, they were reading the Bible and imitating me in a disrespectful way. And so this became the narrative of my debate experience. And the reason I bring this up is because I'm a pretty stubborn person about my faith. Um, I don't stand down. 
I will defend my faith to the end. That's how I was raised. I was raised in Christian apologetics. I was raised in defending my faith against other ideas. I was raised to be challenged and to challenge other ideas because the fact of the matter is, is that there is a truth and that um, it's not that we're all out seeking our own truths, but that there is a truth to be sought out. And that truth is the truth and love of Jesus Christ, uh, which I know. And, um, you know, I want to spend my life telling others about, but that was a narrative. And so it began to get more difficult towards the end of my sophomore year. I qualified to a tournament in Lexington, Kentucky, which was very impressive being a sophomore. There was only one other person who went with me and then the two coaches that we had. And on that car ride, uh, I don't remember why we got on this topic, but essentially we started talking about the concept of an objective moral truth given by God. And so the the terms that were coined when we talked about this was um, capital T truth and little t truth. Little t truth is like an individual truth that all of us come up with. Um, so like facts um, were kind of termed under this idea of truth. But then there was capital T truth, which uh, meant that there is a universal moral law that all of us um, have to follow. It's written in our hearts, as Paul talks about, and um, in that it's it's universal, so it applies to everybody. And one of the, my teacher, both of my teachers actually disagreed with me hardcore, but one of my teachers actually said, um, there is no such thing as a, a capital T truth. And the reference was to my faith. The reference was to God, because that's what the context of the conversation was. And um, I remember first off kind of thinking, well, you're not really supposed to say that as a teacher to me and tell me that I'm wrong in my religious beliefs, but you know, let us slide. Uh, but anyway, she. I looked at her and I said, you know, that's a truth claim. And she got very mad. She put her earbuds in. She tried to ignore me the rest of the ride, essentially, where the coach that was driving said that there's no way I can know there's a capital T truth, essentially inciting doubt into what they knew was a very, very, very strong faith of mine, Uh, a faith that I was not ashamed of, a faith that I had made clear it was my life goal to um, share with others. And that was very, very difficult. I remember even my freshman year, kind of going back a little bit, uh, I had done something. It was kind of stupid. You know, uh, me and a girl had, uh, we were allowed to walk around downtown Sacramento in one national trip alone. And, you know, I snuck out uh, to a church. I went to a church service. I snuck out of downtown to go to a church service, which is very funny. Um, Sacramento was very weird to walk around in as a 15-year-old. But I went to a little church. It was absolutely amazing. But when our coach found out, he just laughed at me and said, of all the things you do, you sneak out to church, which... You know, that was the narrative. And so my sophomore year and my junior year became very, very difficult um, for my faith. I began to realize that I could not speak out um, unless I wanted backlash. I could not freely discuss things unless I wanted to get in trouble. And I kind of hit the breaking point um, this past year, my senior year. So my senior year, I was I had the opportunity to be a four-year national qualifier to speech and debate, which very, very few kids in the nation can do. And I was on track to doing it. I was the number one in the nation. I had worked very hard. I was so far ahead of number two in the nation that as of right now, I still am top 10 in the nation after an entire season of debate. So I I was very good at what I did. Um, I cared about what I did. And I went to a conference called Design for Life. And, um, I had volunteered and I had done a lot of stuff for that conference. And so when I went back to work at the tournament, because we had a tournament we were hosting at our high school at the time, um, my coach gave me the keys to all the second floor upstairs classrooms. 
and he said to essentially erase all the things on the whiteboard that had to do with debate and to tear down all the papers that we had put up. And it was a process. So I began doing that. But then I kind of I kind of felt like I needed to do something um, to the second floor teachers because I know being in debate for so long that the second floor teachers did not appreciate debaters. And so I began writing encouraging messages on every teacher's board, especially teachers that I knew were going through a hard time in their personal life. And I began to write things like, you're awesome. You inspire students. You are amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. I didn't sign my name. Um, I signed my um, podcast kind of name at the time, which at the time my podcast was called Being Bold MCR. Uh, for stood for being bold messengers, conquerors, and revivalists. Uh, it switched because I also decided to go political. But anyway, that's what happened. When I came to the old debate coach who had told me there was no such thing as a capital T truth, who had been rude to me and made fun of me for my faith, um, I wrote on her board um, her name, comma, and I wrote, um, Yahweh loves you. And then I don't remember what I wrote after that. It was something to the effect of, he wants you to know that he loves you. Um, he made you for a purpose. And because originally I didn't know what to write on her whiteboard, I didn't want to write she was an amazing teacher because I had my own bitterness um, kind of pent up about how she had treated me. So I wrote it on her whiteboard and I left and I immediately knew this is going to have ramifications. Um because I didn't sign my name, but it, it would have been obvious who wrote it. So a few days later, I'm back at my high school. I actually have a rehearsal for something. And I walk in to ask my debate coach a question, nothing regarding what I'd done. And my debate coach said, you know, we need to talk. I know exactly what about. And so my debate coach essentially said that I had gone against what he had told me to do and uh, disobeyed him deliberately by writing encouraging messages and my coach told me that he went back through and erased um, – he didn't erase all of them because I, I know a couple teachers who had them still. But he erased and tried to erase all the encouraging messages um, that I wrote on the teacher's whiteboards, which was very weird to me. But he specifically said um, – he told me the coach that I had told God loves her. What I had said was disrespectful and that I had to go apologize to her and to remember that I was only on the team by him and his mercy. And so this, this was the first time I was faced very deliberately with a decision, which was, do I, do I stay on this debate team that has openly persecuted me for years? Like my parents had been begging me to quit for a very long time for um, many reasons, but I had, I had college scholarship money on the line. I had a lot of things that I was banking on debate for because I worked so hard for so long. And when he said that, I remember I said, okay, not because I, I, I didn't know how to respond. Uh, and then he said, he, he not only said I need to apologize, but he tried to push it. He tried to say, she's here right now. So you should go apologize now. And so I walked out of the room and I went to the bathroom and I cried. And I remember I called my mom and it's like, I knew in that moment, I could not stay on the team. And for me, the fact that I had to make a decision between the thing I had been successful at for so long and the thing that I had believed in all my life and given my life to. I was called into ministry um, very deliberately, which is a whole nother story. It's like, how can I apologize to somebody for saying God loves them? Because what we have found out later was that this teacher thought it was disrespectful given our past, which was our past buddings with religion. And so um, I decided to quit the team. 
And that was one of the hardest things I had ever done uh, was quit something I was very, very good at and I, I really enjoyed. And what I had learned from that is that this world does not want Christians to speak up. After I posted my last podcast about homosexuality and Christianity, uh, of the people who actually watched it, um, I did have some civil discussions. People disagreed. There were a couple sensitive points I am going to clarify in my rebuttal. Um, but the thing was, is that many people said that Christians are only about love and that they're about accepting and just saying what Jesus would do and all these things. And the thing is that the world wants Christians to be silent on things that essentially hold others accountable for their actions. They only want to hear the Christianity that embraces just this ambiguous term of love that essentially allows for people to act however they want. I remember I took a girl to church one time and she, um, she, she, she responded to the altar call and I was absolutely shocked. And then she ended up going to a church that catered to her belief in love rather than the truth and the love of Christ, which is one of the hardest things I went through knowing that because I felt like I was somehow responsible. And it's something where I've noticed that if you just, if you just stay silent, um, if you don't offend anybody, if you don't call people out for their actions, if you don't tell them to repent, um, they think you're a good Christian. But that's not the truth and love of Christ. And that's not the type of, even if you're not a Christian, that's not the foundational principles of this country. For instance, um, I should not have had to make a decision and debate to quit or to essentially compromise my faith. Or if I had stayed on and not apologized, I do not doubt that my coach would have made it very hard for me that season because he had made it hard in the past. Um, he essentially had made it impossible for me to even commit to going on a mission trip. Um, that's how hard this was for me in my faith. And what I have noticed is that Christians have to make that decision daily. They have to make the decision to essentially blend in or to stand out. But standing out is more in line with the faith that Christ himself called us to live out when he said to spread the gospel. In the United States, it, it's very unique because we have a constitution that protects our rights to um, exercise our religious freedoms. Part of the religious freedoms and the living out of the Christian faith found in the Bible is to evangelize. Now, whether you want to be evangelized or not, I think it's pretty um, understandable if Christians do that as it's according to their doctrine. When I wrote that on the whiteboard, that whiteboard is a part of a school that I myself pay taxes for because I pay taxes and my parents pay taxes. We pay taxes for that education. The board did not belong to that teacher, belonged to the school. The school has an obligation to allow, not discriminate students for their religious beliefs, but to allow them to um, exercise their religious beliefs. And granted that there are, um, you know, a lot of debate about that. Um, should you pray in school? Should you should you have um, uh, one nation under God in the Pledge of Allegiance? All these things. But writing God Loves You was a part of evangelism, was a part of my religious freedom and my right to exercise it. And essentially, this teacher was allowed to say, no, what you said was disrespectful. The very foundation of your belief and trying to exercise your religion, even though it's in a loving manner, in a peaceful manner, in a respectful manner, and in a manner that essentially lets the teacher know that you're cared about, you're worthy, and you're loved. That is disrespectful. And you have to make a decision now. That is not American. 
that is an SJW, that is a very anti-Christian view for a teacher to push on a student. And the fact of the matter is I share my personal story, not because it's the worst story in the world, but because it's just one story, one small rock thrown in the pond. Um, but there are plenty of rocks at the bottom of the pond. There are plenty of people who have had to make decisions for their faith, who have had to make decisions to stand up for what is right, who have had to make decisions um, even on a government level, even on a level where there were, you know, see councils who were like, turn over your sermons, um, turn over your documents, turn over and infringing upon the freedom, the religious freedoms that we all hold. That's the country we live in today. We live in a country where being offended is more um, drastic than you, you sharing your opinion. That if you share your opinion and it offends somebody, you just need to shut up and that's the end of it. And if you're a Christian, not only was this foretold about in the Bible, but it, in such times, it's important that we stand up. You know, to say that, you know, to preach anything like a prosperity gospel or to preach anything like, you know, just peace and love and thinking everything's going to be okay completely takes away of not only God's goodness, but of the real consequences of his wrath and how it's a very real thing not to be taken lightly. And people do not understand the weight of that. People don't want to understand the weight of that. They don't want to be made uncomfortable. They don't want to feel convicted. They don't want somebody else to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. And because people lack the willingness to take responsibility for their actions, and because people are prideful, they try to silence the rest of us Christians who say, all of us are broken, but there is a way, there is a truth, and there is a light, and his name is Jesus Christ who came to save us all. They don't want that because they don't want to have to repent, change their ways, and live a different life. There are many people in response to my last podcast who fit that way. They're like, yeah, I know the Bible. I know what the Bible says. Somebody even, um, they offered me an article that was really funny. But people don't want to take responsibility for that. Therefore, they pretend to know the gospel because the gospel is so available in the United States. It's so, you can access it on the internet. People have Bibles in their houses that are freely even given to them. I remember one day I stood outside my school and there were people in the corner of the school passing out Gideon Bibles. They're so accessible, but people don't bother to read them. They think that just because they've heard what the book is about, they know what the book is about. But to know the book and to know the word of God is to know Christ and what he did. To understand that the word of God carries a power with it. And if you haven't read it, and but you pretend to know it, those type of people end up trying to tell the rest of us Christians that what we're doing is wrong, even though we're going to the fundamentals of the Bible itself. I mean, that's my experience, at least. Because of that, I think that it is very important that us Christians stand up and be bold and not worry about being popular. I like, term, I like to think of it as we are foreigners in a very strange land with a message to give people. And we're to have a radical enough faith that people, they look at us and they don't think we're just like crazy in the sense of like, oh my goodness, like they're drinking Kool-Aid, um, you know, but a radical enough faith to where we love people with truth and we love them so much that they have no choice but to see that it's the love of Christ through us. We're to be broken vessels so that way Christ's love can flow through us so we can share it with other people, but with the truth that Christ would share as well. Honestly, I keep pausing because um, it's a sensitive subject. It's something that like, I, I don't know how people can't be bold in their faith. I think there's an element of fear that has gripped lots of Christians my age to thinking, 
um, you know, you're going to sacrifice your reputation if you speak out about the not just the love of Christ, but the truth. It's okay to be a Christian until you start saying that people need to repent and that people need to be saved. And I just think about all the Christians that I've read about that has just brought a weight to my heart um, across the world who have died for the gospel. In the United States, we have the freedom to be afraid of losing our reputation over Christianity, where in other parts of the world, that is not an option. The Coptic Christians who were beheaded by ISIS, the fact was one of them, one of the people beheaded was not a Christian from what I understand. Um, I read that one of them was actually like a reporter of some kind, um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember. But essentially, the Coptic Christians had such a radical faith looking ISIS in the eye and saying, no, I will not convert that the last guy said, their God is my God. And in that moment, decided to follow Christ. That's the kind of radical faith I want to have, to look death in the eyes and say, my God conquered death. Christ already overcame the grave. I'm not afraid of losing my reputation. I'm not afraid of losing my things. I'm not afraid because not only is God going to take care of me as I share the gospel, but my persecution is a blessing. It's the mark of a Christian to be persecuted in some way. Because the world does not like Christianity. The world does not appreciate that aspect of truth. The world does not want that. So if you're marked with persecution, count it as a blessing. We simply overlook that. But the fact of the matter is, one of my favorite stories is when a Chinese house church was um, essentially sought out. I don't remember when this happened. It's in the Jesus Freaks book, which I would highly recommend you read. It's by DC Talk. And this essentially, they took the Bible from these people. They placed it on the ground and said, we will let you go free. If you spit on this Bible, but if you don't, we'll kill you. And the adults began to spit on the Bible and began to just shamefully understand that what they were doing was wrong. And a little eight-year-old Chinese girl refused to do it. And they killed her. If an eight-year-old can put her life on the line for the gospel, then I can too in a nation that not only protects my religious freedoms um, under the Constitution, but in the United States that needs to understand the real gospel and the real love of Christ in the fullest sense of it. A nation that thinks it knows Christianity so well that it has lost the concept of what Christ came to do and the Judeo-Christian values that this very nation was built on. I think if you're watching this and you're a Christian and you're afraid of standing out, I think it's worth praying and asking for boldness in your faith because it's only then that we can really understand um, what it means to evangelize without borders and to share the love of Christ in the way that Christ would have shared. Because Christ didn't care about the criticism. Christ died on a cross being accused of being blasphemous. If Christ can die for me, I can die for the very gospel and the good news of Christ who saved me. So today I just wanted to share my testimony and debate why I'm no longer um, a debater until I go to college, which I God came through and I got a scholarship for. But um, if you're a Christian and you need boldness, ask God for it. Because we need a nation of bold Christians who are willing to stand up for not just the easygoing love, but the truth about how good God is. I'm Katie Thomas. Thanks for listening to the Filterless Podcast.